Welcome to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And in this episode of Moonshot, I want to talk about electric vehicles. We know that Tesla is the king of EV manufacturing. They've essentially created this entire industry. And with the global interest that's been building in the EV space, Tesla has now become the most valuable car maker in the world. And that's despite shipping far less vehicles than other manufacturers. Investors are buying into the huge vision that Elon Musk has set, and now the company is becoming profitable. But Tesla is not the only company making EVs. Most major manufacturers have now committed to introducing EVs across their lineup, with some even committing to switching their entire lineup to EVs over the next decade. From small passenger vehicles right through to trucks and commercial vehicles, in just a couple of years, there'll be an EV option for everyone. However, what if buying a new vehicle isn't really your thing? What if you love the look of a classic car? What if you want a vehicle for adventure? What if you're someone who loves to travel, to see the outdoors, to go places that are off the beaten track? Can you still find a vehicle to satisfy your appetite for clean energy? Well, the answer is yes. Recording. Uh, yeah, so give me, give me the tour. Um, yeah, well, welcome uh, to John Motors. Uh, we have about five or six, I guess, depending on how you define how many parts make up a Land Rover uh, cars going on at, the, at, at any one time. I'm in the Melbourne suburb of Williamstown. It's an area with an industrial past, and I'm here to visit the workshop of a small electric vehicle startup called Jaunt. I'm Dave Budge, and I'm the CEO of Jaunt, and we take old classic four-wheel drives and turn them into electric. Jaunt is transforming old vehicles into modern EVs. At the moment, they're focusing on Land Rovers, partly because of the nostalgia of owning an old four-wheel drive, but also because it turns out Land Rovers are quite easy to modify. And in the sort of entryway here, we've got basically, you know, it's a giant in-and-out tray, and what you can, what's behind me is, uh, is body panels. And one of the things that makes Land Rovers of this vintage unique is that every part of the body comes apart as a quite small thing that's liftable by a single person. And unlike a normal car that's one giant body shell and you've got to have a hoist to lift it and all this kind of stuff, we can pull apart every body panel and replace it like a big Meccano set. And that means if we start with a ute, we can turn it into a station wagon or a soft top or whatever and completely interchange the cars. It's just how long a car do you want and what colour and we can kind of build that into any style. As you look around Jaunt's workshop, There's a number of cars up on hoists and many vehicles in varying stages of completion. This isn't the kind of workshop you might see at a manufacturer like Tesla. There's no big production line. This is all about taking individual things, old Land Rovers, and then making them new again, installing batteries, an electric motor, updating the bodywork, and customising the ride to fit the specifications for each customer. This is bespoke manufacturing, and unlike buying a car off the production line, this delivers results that are unique to the individual. And the vehicles that leave Jaunt's factory are really works of art. They have character and personality. They've taken months and months of work to deliver an experience that makes you wonder whether or not the vehicle was just built this way to start with. So so an old car comes in, and it's a 1971, and... Inevitably, at the moment we do, yeah, these full conversion and restorations. Inevitably, there is 
things that aren't great. You can live with a lot in an old car and you can get away with it under Australian law, uh, even if the brakes are terrible and the steering is terrible and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's a great thing for us because it means there's all these old cars around still. But when you start doubling the power and doubling the torque and making them, you know, making people want to drive them every day, you need to make them safer. Not just because you need to do that to get them engineered and certified, you just want them to be safer because people are using them and putting their families in them and all this kind of stuff. So to ensure that, we literally pull apart every single nut and bolt, every single rivet, take them down to the bare metal, strip everything back, and then rebuild them from the ground up. And we do that not in a way that is, uh, I guess traditional car restoration is going, oh, you know, we've got the same bolts they used in 1968 and we've got these and we're matching this and this is all period correct. We don't do that. I mean, we've already kind of bastardized the cars by putting an electric motor. So we try and build, what, what could they have built back then if they had the, you know, the precision and the machinery and the manufacturing techniques that we have now? So metric nuts and bolts all the way through that are high ten, higher tensile, so better performing fasteners. We have some uh, machine, you know, CNC machined mechanical components that, you know, are inherently more accurate than, than cast pieces we have some 3d printed components so we build them to look original and retro but underneath they're often running a, you know quite a bit uh, much more reliable system much more safe system so improving the braking putting power steering in um, improving the handling completely replacing all the 12 volt electrics everything that was unreliable we get it out while old Land Rovers do require some modification to convert them into EVs it's not quite as involved as you would think Jaunt uses 3D models to figure out what components can fit in the vehicle and where to put them. But it all starts with the batteries. And the batteries that Jaunt uses are sourced from salvaged Teslas. And it turns out it's almost like they were designed to fit in the Land Rovers. You've got to fit the right amount of batteries in for the range you need. You've got to get fit the right amount of batteries to get the voltage you need and the current you need. Um, and they've got to fit within the vehicle. Uh, so if you come over here, you, I can show you exactly how that sort of manifests because it's, it's a really amazing coincidence across the decades of car manufacturing that uh, we use in, in all of our builds, we're using uh, Tesla batteries. So those are out of salvage, like wrecked Teslas. Um, and with those batteries, which are kind of 70 centimetres by 30 centimetres by 7 centimetre bricks, um, which is quite a big, uh, you know, 25 kilo lump of battery. Um, there's 16 of those in a Tesla Model S kind of thing. It's a lot of energy and how it fits into an old car can be really, really tricky. Now, for some crazy reason, that shape and size fits perfectly in old Land Rovers. So we put six in the front and you can see a battery box there that just perfectly fits with it. We're talking 10 mils to spare between the radiator and the, and the bulkhead. And then particularly on the side in the chassis, because we're trying to always trying to get the weight low, where the old fuel tanks were on the sides, between these outriggers of the chassis rails, two Tesla batteries fit perfectly. And then in the rear, side by side, we can put Tesla batteries. So, so with again, with about 10 mil to spare, like it was designed for it, Tesla batteries fit in the chassis and allow us to do basically a, you know, a skateboard platform like all modern EVs to a certain extent. So we got very lucky, um, but it was also one of the reasons why we, we committed to, to Tesla sales with these vehicles is because we had this, this opportunity to, to put the batteries where we 
you know, you'd always love to put batteries in any conversion. Is, is, is there any issues in taking Tesla cells and then using them in a non-Tesla system? Uh, they might they might be internally in Tesla. Um, there's not in terms of there, there's a lot of of course amazing engineering that's gone into producing those batteries. But but as an object that we then work with, it is quite simple. Um, I mean, there's you know 400 little 18650 cells inside of them and amazing cooling tech and all this. But we swap out a uh, we swap out the little controller board so we can put in a new. Uh, circuit board in there that allows us to check the voltages They've, there's 400 batteries configured kind of as six batteries inside each brick um, we can see the voltages of all of those we can see temperatures um, and then it's kind of you know a positive and a negative and a cool and in and out uh, and and you know there's been enough reverse engineering around the world to be able to work with those quite well uh, and, the, and the really important thing for for us and for our customers is that those, those batteries, even though they're from salvaged vehicles, from our supplier come with a two-year, 50,000-kilometre warranty on them. Are you finding because you're using Tesla cells that's affecting the potential of the vehicle, like in a positive way, you know, do you think you're getting more range out of it because you're using Tesla cells as opposed to, you know using cells manufactured elsewhere uh yeah so there, i guess there's a lot of different battery chemistry and there's a lot of different density and, and tesla cells are great because they are so energy dense you know they're the cells that are in laptops and things they're consumer electronic cells so the, the density um and the weight is is amazing so we've used we've built first prototypes with different uh cells which were taking up you know a quarter to a third more weight and space for the same energy capacity so using Tesla cells allows us to, you know, harness the best of the world's engineering, battery engineering and fit them into our vehicles. That's not to say that there's not other options and down the track we're definitely, we're not committed to that. It's a great option now, but there's, um, you know, they're, there's, they're quite in demand around the world. Secondhand Tesla batteries are, you know, a really popular thing um, and hard to get a hold of. So. There's absolutely new battery chemistry that's uh, chemistry manufacturers. We'd love to be using like Australian produced batteries. Um, and, and as we sort of start to scale in volume, we get the ability to start requesting, well, we want a battery with this much power and we want it to fit in exactly these dimensions and, you know, getting someone else to build our, our whole battery pack for us rather than assembling the battery pack ourselves. And we'll be back with more Moonshot in a moment. Jaunt Motors is on a mission to build electric vehicles for adventure. And as we've discovered, they're starting that process with old Land Rovers. In Australia, the Land Rover has a long history of being a vehicle chosen for its rugged charm. They go anywhere you want to take them and can be configured to fit whatever activity you need. But if you're going to revamp some of these old vehicles, taking their guts out and converting them to electric, what do you lose? Are you going to lose some of the charm that makes them so unique? And how does the driving experience change? We try, I guess it's hard to say how it changes because it, it's, uh, 
a lot and not at all. And and by that I mean the goal for us is to try and make make these feel like the vehicle that you want them to be. The vehicle that you imagine they're going to be when you see that classic Land Rover boxy shape and think, oh, that's a cool car, I want to drive that. The reality is when you get in the old ones that you're like, oh, what's a choke and oh, how does it start? And it's all very difficult and heavy and you're really feeling like you're operating a machine, this big clockwork explosion machine. And there's a lot of mental overhead to it. But what we want to do is not completely replace it and have the shell but everything else is different we want it to feel like the old car they are there is a you know it, the driving position isn't fantastic the steering feels a bit is different it feels like an old car and we want to keep that but we want to reduce the barriers of entry to, to operating that and make that both you know sort of approachable and and accessible to as much as an extent as we can meaning it's got power steering so you don't need to be incredibly strong to operate it the brakes are light and they they respond in the way they should respond um the throttle response is there so it's there's an expectation that people have in 2021 of what a car should drive like out of the you know out of the farm these do not feel anything like that um but we can bring them up to be a fun different experience while still having the meeting some of the expectations and taking some of that fear away that you have of driving an old car where you step on the brakes and nothing happens one of the other differences between buying something like a Tesla and buying a Land Rover is of course the places you want to take them. There's some big design considerations that you need to think about when you're building a car for adventure. You might drive your Tesla around a city, but with a Land Rover, you're likely to go somewhere harder to access. You might find yourself driving on tough terrain or crossing creeks on the way to your destination. So Dave and the team at Jaunt have had to think about those situations and make sure all the elements of the vehicle can withstand everything you throw at them. These are two of the batteries that, uh, battery packs that would go in the left and right side, basically under the, under the floor in the car and the chassis. So in each of these packs, there's two Tesla uh, battery modules. And what you can see in there is also uh, contactors and fuses. And these are all things to basically, you know, they're, they're point, 0.01% safety items within a car. So really in everyday use, they're not required, but in that moment that, you know, you were hit in the side and this happened and this cable got severed and all of that, we've got to have all that sort of protection in. These are in structural aluminium machine boxes that are then weather sealed um, and and completely enclosed so that so that they can basically be submerged and, and we can, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that we're keeping all the utility of this original car that that we're meeting or exceeding the 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 water fording depth the load carrying capacity the towing capacity the full drivability we've got to meet it or exceed it um, and not go backwards so that's one of the key things is getting all that safety equipment in there packaging these up these are about to go into the car that's in front of us Cool. Um, and yeah, these are the ones that go under the under the chassis. Yes. Yep. So these go these go under under the passenger and driver seat. Um, there's a little you know little box that you're sitting on, and then under that under the floor is these two these two boxes. So that's four batteries under those seats. You can see there um, we're looking at a, a, a car with basically the bulkhead or the dashboard and the windscreen are there, but not much else. And you can sort of see the cavity, the rectangular cavity that is almost you know, perfectly sized for a Tesla module where these will, these will fit um, and be 
and two of those also equal kind of the height of the chassis rail so it's not the lowest point it doesn't protrude we don't have to modify it there is a couple of things we've got to change and we've got to run you know some fairly heavy duty cabling and protect that and even even things like as a consideration for us when we're building four-wheel drives that we know people are going to abuse maybe not you know week one but year one they're probably going to do some crazy stuff with it that even our cabling we um you know we're shielding in conduit that's uh, galvanized steel lined you've basically to get into the, the the cabling you'd have to take a grinder to it so everything is i guess built as you would want a four-wheel drive to be built um on the back there's actually this is actually the seat box so this is where the seats you know you would be sitting on top of this and inside this box uh is where we keep and install the charging system um so the original fuel filler cap runs into here uh, under that is a charge port that goes in we've got we're lucky to have you know in these vehicles again all this strange boxy storage space so a charger um you know a modern charge system compatible with all charge points around the place um, lives under one of the seat boxes um, we install a little uh, hidden subwoofer in the middle one so the sound system's good and then in the other one we actually use it as a it's a toolbox and storage box because in a canvas roof or no roof car you want some sort of lockable storage all in all i'm super impressed with the level of work that jaunt goes through to restore these old vehicles and when they're finished they look the part it's like they were designed that way from the start and essentially they are Jaunt are stripping the vehicles back to their bare bones and then rebuilding them. They've even got their own custom dials to show you information on the battery. And the integration of the speaker system looks like it was made that way. There are still some big limitations though with buying an old vehicle. They don't have some of the safety features that you expect in a modern car. There's no airbags for example. And forget about the lane assist features or autopilot that you might get in a Tesla. But if you're buying an old Land Rover, did you really want any of those features anyway? Surely you're buying into it for the charm, for the nostalgia of the thing. That's really what it's all about. You're wanting to look out the window. You're wanting to feel that breeze. Whether you like it or not, you're going to get a breeze and, and wind in your hair. So we, what we do is go, you know, what are, what are the expectations? And the expectations are, yeah, you need a Bluetooth stereo, right? You need... Um, you want wireless CarPlay and all these kinds of things. You want, um, uh, you know, you want good headlights and LEDs. And you want, so all that electrical system is upgraded. But unless the customer specifically requests it, we're not installing, you know, a giant screen. In fact, we're trying to put the smallest amount of screens we possibly can. And that's been a big, big challenge is we think that you've got to try and we're trying to build these cars as simple as possible. What is the minimum amount of controls? Now, Land Rover kind of did that 70 years ago because it was just the cheapest way to build a car. But even in the UK in 2016, when the Defenders ended production, a radio was an optional extra. Air conditioning was an optional extra in these cars. They were, they were farm vehicles, right? So so we, we're sort of trying to keep to that ethos, but also because what, what, what do you want? What do you need? We're not trying to put in features to fill out a brochure to tick boxes to compete with the other cars on the market we don't really have competitors in the same way so what is the minimum we can get away with and that's you know yeah headlights wipers all that kind of stuff but 
nice little things yeah. where we've got different drive modes. So different um, when everything's electric, we can change the feel of the car. So there's a there's an off-road drive mode that. Uh, changes the throttle response and makes it, you know, if you're bouncing around, it's not surging the car. So all the all the steering and braking is loosened up and there's more regenerative braking. Um, we have sport modes that change the throttle response and all these kinds of things. So different modes that, that help that and work with the electric motor. And we also do things that, um, you know, we're, we're pinching from everyone else. And we have we have a camp mode like, like Teslas do. We have an ability to turn a turn a switch because you're driving the biggest battery that you own you don't want to you know not be able to charge your phone or run your fridge so turn on camp mode and you have power to all the 12 volt accessory ports on the car connected to the main battery pack so charge your phone 5,000 times run a fridge for a month like all those things are sort of possible so trying to keep it also in, in tune with the with the feel like mechanical switches are really really fun but people don't put them in because it's it's a hell of a lot cheaper not to and have everything on a touch screen but when we can have 10 switches in the car that's a you know it's just fun to operate and we'll have more of that interview with joint motors ceo dave budge right after this break stop for a minute and picture the typical CEO of a car company, what would you see? Often CEOs in the automotive industry have decades of experience in the sector. They passionately love cars. It's what they live and breathe. But in the world of EVs, things are a little different. Elon Musk came to Tesla from tech. He joined as an investor and then eventually became CEO. And for Dave... His background doesn't scream car guy. So how did he come to be so fascinated by these old Land Rovers? Because it takes someone with passion to want to take relics from the past and give them a new lease of life. Uh, it's a really, it's a good question. Uh, I, I'm not a car guy whatever that means or maybe I am now but I wouldn't have defined myself as that once upon a time I didn't get a license till I was 27 um, but when I did and I bought a car I wanted to buy the most fuel efficient diesel car that I could get and actually I bought that before I had a license but I wanted to do that because I wanted to run biodiesel and I was part of the Melbourne biodiesel club very cool club um, and there was this mid-2000s, there was this biodiesel was a thing and people were making it a lot more and you could buy it at a couple of service stations and a British four-wheel drive was the most fuel-efficient car because it was kind of before, maybe there was like new diesel golfs, but there wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't this big second-hand diesel car market like there is now. So 10 litres per 100 kilometres, the you know, Land Rover Discovery was, is what it did. And I bought that not knowing anything about four-wheel driving, never really having been, um, but I got it to run biodiesel. And with that, I then was like, well, we have a four-wheel drive, let's go out into the bush and let's do stuff. And I'd always liked hiking and camping and stuff. And 
though that that kind of got me into another aspect of that and realised I could get to places that I otherwise couldn't um, and got me interested in, in four-wheel driving. And then, I guess fast forward, you know, 10 years, 15 years, it was the end of production of Defenders and I'd always kind of wanted one because I, you know, I think if you uh, have a Land Rover, you start looking at the ultimate Land Rover or, or the worst Land Rover. I don't know what it, which one it is really, but... It was an opportunity to buy one um, at the end of production and so I did and I loved it and it it was clearly a 50-year-old car with some added 2015 gizmos but it has a certain charm to it and a certain shape to it that is, is quite classic and amazing. So from a design perspective, I really, I always had loved it and I'd always been interested in cars from that design perspective because my background's really it's both filmmaking and interface design really and I think I was always fascinated by particularly car interiors from an interface design challenge I was fascinated by cars just broadly as a as the most expensive design object that people people usually buy or consider consider the design on even more so than their houses a lot of the time so they're thinking about color and they're thinking about shapes and all this kind of stuff laid on top of the the logic and the practicality and the affordability so I was always interested in them as, a, as an object that shaped the world, but I'd really got into the, you know, I got the bug of four-wheel driving and we were camping, we had a rooftop tent and we were going to all places, amazing places in Australia. But I felt, I realised that I felt a little bit guilty burning all that diesel to go somewhere to get it into the fresh air and, you know, see pristine nature. And it, But what choice did I have, right? Like, what was I going to do? There's no... That's I had a fairly fuel efficient car and what, what else how else was I gonna achieve that and, and do that? You know, we're all making choices to fly and you know, emit a lot of carbon um, because it's the way of the world. But so I just wanted I wished I could buy an electric four-wheel drive. Uh, this was and then you know, a couple of years ago this there's no Rivian announced, there's no Cybertruck announced. I mean they're not here yet, they're gonna be very expensive. But there wasn't a a, a vehicle. And I I'd worked with um, I'd worked with Holden um, in their as sort of part of their, you know, through an agency as part of their digital team. And so I was very familiar with like car sales um, stats and things. And, and I mean, it doesn't, it's, you know, anyone can look this up, but it's like you look at the top 15 selling cars in Australia, it's all, you know, dual cab utes, SUVs. In the top 15, there's maybe two, three hatchbacks every month that make that top 15 sales. And that's, it's kind of an anomaly compared to anywhere else in the world, particularly in any developed country. Even in the States, yeah, there's some big trucks, but then very quickly it's sedans are very popular cars. So Australians love four-wheel drives. And then you look at, well, what EVs do we have? We have expensive luxury sedans or we have quirky hatchbacks. Those don't cross over in our car sales. So whether we want you know, we want four-wheel drives. I wanted an electric one, but maybe there's a societal problem as well. So I guess that was sort of... Those two things come together and make you think, well, maybe there's a business idea. Like, if there's a personal problem that I... You know, I want the product, maybe other people do too. One of the biggest challenges faced by EV manufacturers is the price. EVs are currently expensive to produce and therefore come with a high price tag. And when you buy a vehicle from Jaunt, you're not only buying the EV tech, but you're buying a piece of history. Restoring cars isn't cheap, especially if you do it well. So when you buy a Land Rover from Jaunt, you can expect to spend similar money to buying a Tesla Model X. But 
If you consider the premium that EVs have and the expense of buying a four-wheel drive in the current market, it doesn't seem that much of a premium. So the, the vehicles we're building now, this complete restoration, um, complete teardown and rebuild, that, this is like a $150,000 car and about half of that's in the restoration and half of that's in the EV side of it. As we bring efficiencies to this and do more, that, that enables us to be able to build basically a crate system um, and be able to do that, you know, bring the price down of all the new components, do that in volume, reduce the labour costs and get it out to people to, you know, potentially install themselves. I presume when you're doing, um, especially the older versions, like there is a lot of inherent value and in, like people want, you know, a nicely restored, you know, old car and people love that and there's a lot of inbuilt, inbuilt value in those vehicles on their own. Yeah, and it, it's a. I guess once you get to it, once you're spending a certain amount of money, you're like, well, maybe I'll just. I will. It's kind of like buying a new car, right? You go, it's from thirty nine nine ninety, but then you're like, well, I do want the leather seats, and I do want the safety pack, and I do want, and suddenly you've spent another ten grand. Um, so there's definitely an element of of that, and not that we're trying to, you know, scam people on upgrades, but it's like, yeah, you do want you do want your dream car by the time you've got to this point. And, and there's definitely other elements where you do want a level of restoration. However, there's, we've got some customers coming up who don't want the restoration. They want that classic old patina. They just want an electric heart to it. So for them, we can leave, you know, legally what we can get away with, a terrible looking body. There's also customers who at the moment are doing the restoration themselves and are going to bring their car to us in pieces to have it reassembled with the electric motor in it. So, there's a lot of fun ways to approach how we do it. Do you ever see there being like a fully custom-built jaunt vehicle in the future? We, I don't know if we joke about that. We have talked about that and then immediately shut it down because building a new vehicle in Australia is very difficult. Building a safe vehicle is very hard. The ability to start off and stand on the shoulders of hundreds of engineers and designers at Land Rover or Toyota or wherever cars we work with is an amazing thing. We know that that's strong. We know that we've got 50 years of data just on this car about how strong that bracket is and that it's going to support the suspension. So there's options around thinking, well, we could do an old frame with a, with a different body styling. Um, I feel like apart from a some very very few exceptions most cars that have been designed and, and produced on a small scale just aren't that great and 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 sort of a quirky and interesting but how do we we're, we're working right now with one of the world's great car designs i don't think it would be it would be so much hubris for me to think that we could just jump in and build something that we loved and the public loved as much as some of these classic shapes that we get to work in. However, I'd love to build my own car. <laughs> when you're sort of looking at, at everything that, that you're working towards here, like what, ex what excites you most about the mission that you're on? I just want, I mean, it's what I've always wanted. I just want people to drive the cars. <laughs> I think it's really, I think people driving electric cars for the first time is awesome. Uh, awesome fun to watch and experience and I think particularly when it's wrapped up in a classic car package it's just surprising and kind of delightful and different and 
you get in a Tesla and yeah, okay, it's amazing and that acceleration can blow your mind and whatever, but it's also, you're driving around normally, other new cars are kind of quiet and they kind of do things and they kind of got tech and it's a great car, but there's a lot of great cars and you expect these mass manufactured new things to work well. When you get in this old package, it just, it has something else. And I feel like, to me, it's like, I'm in way more in love with old houses that have been renovated and restored than I am with a new house, right? Of course you can design incredible things, but there's some charm and character to to bringing this new life and experience to these old cars. So that's, to me, that's the point. If we can get people jumping behind the wheel of one of these and going, oh, electric cars, you know what? Oh, this is pretty, pretty fun. And they, they look at PlugShare and they realise there's charge points and they think about, they go and test drive a new electric car or whatever it might be that we can help that journey. Um, I think that's, that's what I'm excited about. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and is hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, along with Andrew Moon. Our theme music comes from the talented Breakmaster Cylinder, and our artwork is by Andrew Millist. You can find out more about the show at our website, moonshot.audio. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at moonshotpod. If you've got ideas for topics that you'd like us to cover on the show, send us an email to moonshot at lawson.media. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.